Um, our speaker this morning is Joel Tetro. He and Dave Dietz were helping us the last few days hammer out that vision statement and value statement like I was talking about there. And this guy, he's kind of interesting. <laughs> there aren't too many people that, oh, there I can even hear myself. <laughs> there aren't too many people that um, kind of have this discernment ability that he has. He can like read people. Watch out for him. <laughs> if you were a con man, you'd be like right at the top of the thing. Fortunately, he's using, he's using that gift for the Lord. <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, Joel's just a very insightful person, a wise person, a balanced person. He comes out of a very kind of strict fundamentalism that um, is not like us. <laughs> and uh, he has a lot of deep insights also into that. Um, people that believe in the Bible passionately can be pretty messed up, too. Um, it's a matter of a lot of other things, which makes him such a good counselor and... Uh, a leader and shepherd of, of other churches and ministries. He just uh, has keen insight into people and a keen insight into how church is supposed to be. So anyway, he uh, volunteered to preach this Sunday since he was out here with us this week, and I'm really grateful for that. So let's welcome him in Acton Faith Church Stock. All right. Luke chapter 7. It's a thrill to be here. And uh, uh, David Dietz, on behalf of he and myself, uh, we love your church, we love your leaders, and uh, it's a thrill to be here. I was here uh, several years ago uh, before COVID, and um, I remember several of your leaders that have passed on to heaven. Um, so we had a, I was here midweek, and we had a great time, and uh, so it's, it's fun to be back. I wanted to be here on a Sunday, and so we're very thankful that this worked out. I, I'm the lead pastor of Southeast Valley Bible Church, your sister church in Gilbert, Arizona. I've been the lead pastor there for 24 years. Uh, over the next three years, my son, who's on staff with me, will be the next lead pastor. And um, I'll be the squirrely old guy on staff uh, as he takes over. And what's happening is I'm transitioning over to full-time missions work at the Institute of Biblical Leadership. And so I'm doing a lot of deputation, uh, raising mission support. So you guys pray for us. And if the Lord leads you as a church or you as an individual uh, to take us on for support, I'm happy to have that conversation. I, I spent the Sunday school talking kind of about that. I have three books left. It's a 60-day devotional, and uh, there's three prices, $20, $10, or free. And so uh, you pick whichever one you want, and there's three left, and I'm happy not to go with any of those books. And so that will be great. Luke chapter 7, if you would, turn over to Luke chapter 7. This morning, we are looking at the passage dealing with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in jail, and as we come to this passage, um, we're looking at the imprisonment of John the Baptist and three courts of appeal. I appreciated very much your hospitality. Uh, thank you, Jerry, put me up, and uh, thank you, Wayne and Laura, they let me use their vehicle. And so very, th and then the church was, you guys have always been hospitable as we've come worked with the leaders, you feed us, uh, you give us plenty of water, coffee, which is manna for this dispensation. And so uh, thank you for all of that. And um, uh, yeah, we, uh, your hospitality is noteworthy. Years ago, I, we were doing ministry at a place, and um, I, uh, I'm going to try to be done five minutes before Wayne is, so I get invited back. That's what, the, <laughs> that's what that is. Um, so, and we'll, that way we can beat the Methodists to lunch, so that'll be good. 
So, yeah, so years ago we were, we were doing ministry, and uh, afterwards I was trying to think, how, what's a Bible way to say thanks for your hospitality? And so I thought I looked at the, especially the, the gal who had worked hard to serve us, and I said to myself, well, what I thought was your hospitality reminds me of Aquila and Priscilla, but what I said was your hospitality reminds me of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> well, as soon as I said it, you should have seen the shock on her face. The pastor friend that was with me, he put his hand on my shoulder and he, he said, he whispered, Tetro, God killed those people. And uh, at any rate, so no, your, your hospitality has been uh, stellar. This morning, I, I want to preach um, uh, a short sermon. I'm not going to keep you long this morning. You have, uh, you've had a long weekend and you have a business meeting and as a pastor, I, I know what that is. And so this morning, we, this, this won't be a, a long sermon. But I, I think it's a good sermon, and I think it touches all of us where we live. I, Wayne had mentioned my background out of fundamentalism. I call it type A fundamentalism. Now, historically, our kind of churches, uh, we very much are a historic fundamentalist church in the sense that we love the fundamentals of the faith and the orthodoxy, and we believe that that's not up for grabs, and we're not going to compromise uh, the simplicity of the gospel. We're not going to compromise God's word, its authority. We're not, we're not doing that. We're not going to play footsie with the world, and uh, we're not going to play loose with God's word. We're not doing that. And so in that regards, we, we represent uh, kind of a healthy biblical fundamentalism. But much of fundamentalism, uh, as Wayne had noted, had become... Uh, infighting and uh, frankly ugly, and I, I've just been preaching through. I've been preaching through the life of David. If you remember, on one occasion, David came up on Saul. Saul and his army. They were spread out, kind of like in a semicircle, with Saul in the middle. And David took Saul's spear and could have easily put Saul's spear in Saul's cranium, and that would have been the end of Saul. And I, I've just seen over the years, I've seen too many fundamentalists who have a tendency to reach for their sword of truth and uh, uh, will, will stab brothers and sisters uh, in the name of speaking truth, but there's no speaking love in truth. And I, I think that really touches a lot of what we're going to see this morning in this episode of the imprisonment of John the Baptist and three courts of appeal. Listen, notice... John chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, reported to him about all these things, all the things that Jesus had done. Verse 19, now again, John is in jail when this verse takes place. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? Now, this is odd. This is after the ministry of John the Baptist. John has done all kinds of amazing work. He's sitting in jail. And after all of that, John hears all these things that Jesus is doing, and John's saying, wait a minute, if I understand prophecy, I'm the one that's supposed to go between, go before. Did I miss something? Did I miss a memo? And so this is a sanity check where he's sending this note to Jesus. Are you really the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At the very time, many, uh, cure, he, he had cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind 
And he said, and he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are, cle are cle cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Well, John, when he heard that, that's Isaiah. He, he would have known exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the one. Because this is the promise of Isaiah. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak, this is Jesus, speaking to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Well, not John. <laughs> you remember, he ate, you know, he was wearing uh, rough clothing and leather, and he was eating locusts. And no, this is not a softy guy, right? Those who, those who are splendidly clothed, i.e. not John, and live in luxury are found in royal places. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare you your way before you. I say to you, among those... Okay, just in case you're wondering, God's view of John, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Verse 31, To what then shall I compare the men of, light of this generation? And what are they like? This is, uh, this is Jesus targeting the peanut gallery, who've been whispering about John. Well, you know, he's a Baptist. You know, he's a nut. He's not a Lutheran. He's a Baptist. And then on top of that, he eats, he eats you know, weird stuff, and he wears weird stuff. Yeah, so Jesus is going to target all of the naysayers. Verse 32, they're like children who sit in the marketplace and who call to one another. They say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you said, you said of him, he has a demon. You've even, okay, not only do you, not only have you talked despairingly, you accused his spirituality. You, you went after his heart motive. Like, you can't do that. You're not God. You, you don't know. You can't do what you just did. You called him a demon. This is, this, is similar to, this is similar to the unpardonable sin when it's not the same, but it's similar when the accusers of Jesus said, oh, what he's doing, he's doing in the power of Beelzebub, and that blasphemy, the unpardonable sin, in the same way they accused John. Now he's got a demon. Notice, um, uh, so I want you to notice as this, as it continues to go on, he says, the disciples of John reported to him, uh, I'm sorry, so notice, if you will, verse 31, to what shall I compare the men of generation, who are they like? They're like this, we, we read this, like the, the children who sit in the marketplace, we've done these things. Um, and then verse 34, it's the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. It's a powerful passage. 
Uh, you don't need to, don't turn, but just know there's a parallel passage of this in Matthew chapter 11. We have a parallel passage. And so Luke chapter 7, Matthew chapter 11, these two passages really fill out this episode. Notice the background. I get this from Luke Wayne from Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. He sums up well the background for why John is sitting in jail. Wayne notes this. John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great's the one that built the great Herodian. Herodian is not far from what we know as Navi Samuel, the birthplace of Samuel, not far from Jerusalem. So Herod the Great, I mean, he was, he's called Herod the Great not because he was great, but because he pulled off a number of, and so this is actually Herod's son. These Herods were wicked men. It was a wicked uh, Edomian uh, rulers. They were wicked. And so here, uh, so John, he, yeah, John, he confronts Herod. Notice again in your notes, uh, Herod, so after Herod the Great's death, his kingdom broke up into smaller territories over which his sons ruled. Herod Antipas received Galilee, and it was he who ordered John's arrest. It was the plotting of Herod's wife, Herodias, however, that led to John's execution. While the Gospel of John makes only a passing reference to the imprisonment of John the Baptist, uh, the other Gospels all tell us that Herod had John in prison on account of John having rebuked him over the sin, particularly over Herod's taking his brother's wife. Luke's account is the briefest, simply saying, but Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by, uh, uh, being rebuked by him about Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things Herod had done, added this to everything else, he locked up John in prison. Matthew's account and Mark's account gives us considerably more detail. It's explaining that Herod's wife Herodias wanted John to be put to death, but could not do so on her own. Herod personally desired to execute him as well, but he ultimately protected him. He was afraid to harm John, knowing that John was a righteous man, and also fearing what the crowd would do because they regarded John as a prophet. Last little sentence there. Eventually, John would be executed, connected to an event that took place during the celebration of Herod's birthday, recorded in Mark 6. The immoral daughter of Herodias danced and pleased Herod, and with her mother's prompting, she asked what should be given, and she said, give me the head of John the Baptist. And you know the rest of the story. If you do the math, introduction, if you do the math, it looks as if John the Baptist was in jail for about two years. We know at the first Passover, John was not in prison yet. That's clear from John 3, 24. It may be that John the Baptist died about a year before Jesus died. Jesus died just before the feeding of the 5,000. John dies just before the feeding of the 5,000. So this passage is in both Matthew 11 and Luke chapter 7 backtracks just a bit. Bible teachers aren't sure how far it goes back. Sometime during the episode of the Lord's ministry, John hears of the continuing kingdom work of Jesus. John is imprisoned by Herod Antipas and kept in the Perean fortress of Marcarus, according to Matthew 14.3. It looks as if John is working through personal thoughts of assurance concerning Jesus. In this back and forth, we note three courts of appeal that John and the rest of Jesus' followers need to consider or trust, especially in seasons of doubt. So John is John the Baptist. He's sitting in jail. 
You know, here's the thing. Um, when you come to faith, when we come to Christ, it's a, a, the adoption into God's family is beautiful. Amen? Yeah. We've been forgiven of our sin. All God's people said, Amen. what a thrill. Can you imagine? What an absolute thrill. Yeah, it's uh, something I remind our people often when we have the Lord's table. How often do you guys do the Lord's table here, Wayne? Okay, so we do the same. Once a month, we have the Lord's table. And when we, uh, like you hear, oh, I've been working on this. I have just, I had dyslexia as a kid. So for the last 10 years, I've been calling you Faith Acton Bible Church. And so now I just want you to know, I finally got it right, Acton Faith Bible Church. So Southeast Valley Bible Church, as you do at Acton Faith Bible Church, it just rolls, act in faith. It sounds so good now that I have that down. <laughs> but like you, we, we have the Lord's table once, uh, once a month. And what I often say to our people as we take the Lord's table is, hey, you know, do you know what makes you qualified to partake of the Lord's table this morning? Every time we come to the Lord's table, do you know what makes you qualified? 100% has nothing to do with you. Yeah. 100% of the righteousness that qualifies you to partake of the Lord's table came from Jesus of Nazareth. 100% of it. So it's not up to you to add new righteousness that you did not get from Jesus. And if you actually could add new righteousness on top of what Jesus gave you, it wouldn't count because it wouldn't be pure. It would be mixed. It'd be a mixture of good and bad. Ergo, disqualifying that kind of righteousness. So as we think about coming to faith in Christ... Um, we know about forgiveness, we know about adoption, we know about being uh, forgiven in the beloved, being accepted in the beloved. And so it, it is really shocking to many of us the first time or the second time or the tenth time you end up in a hole and you're God's child, but you wake up in a hole, right? Here, John's in jail, John's in jail. Can you imagine how shocking that is? Wait a minute, John the Baptist, I'm sure he thought, you know, hey, you know what, I had a plan, and God had a plan, and I don't think it's this. <laughs> so, so, when, so when life throws us a curve, and we as God's children end up in a hole, we need to remember that um, we need to think about how we're thinking about that stage of the game. You know, Scripture is full of examples of God's children being in, in a hole, or something like a hole, Right? I mean, John's in jail. Eventually, you know, every time Paul, I, the scriptures don't tell us this, but I think every time the Apostle Paul and his companions came into a new city, I think he was looking for the jail because he knew in a day or two he'd be there. Uh, I'm going to be there shortly, right? I mean, I think of Elijah. One of the times I was here, I talked to you about Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. He was under a juniper tree. Remember that? 1 Kings 19.4, he was running for his life. Chapter 18, he wins a great victory on Mount Carmel. And um, uh, he, they execute the prophets of Baal, rightly. Jezebel hears that, and she sends a note. If I don't get you in 24 hours, may the gods do to me what you did to, your, to my servants. And then, you know, and so Elijah runs for his life. He runs from... Uh, Mount Carmel to, Jez to Jezreel. From Jezreel, he goes to Beersheba. He drops off his servant in Beersheba. He goes a, a day's journey in the middle of the Negev, and he finds a juniper tree, and he's under the juniper tree. Right? Some of you are under your juniper tree this morning. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being in a hole. 
There's nothing wrong with being under a juniper tree if you're God's child. Just don't build your house there. God doesn't want you to build. It's okay to sojourn there. It's okay to have a hard season there, but don't, don't build your house there. Right? So John sitting in jail, Elijah under the juniper tree. Joseph, he knew what it was to be in a hole, right? Remember they, the brothers came and here's the brother, you know, and he, Joseph, okay. Joseph could be obnoxious, right? He could be obnoxious with his brothers. You know, I had this dream and you all bowed to me. Really, Joseph? I mean, we got to work on our timing. Your discerning is off on how to speak with the brethren. Well, I'm just using the, the, the truth sword. I'm using the truth spear. You know what? There's probably a better way to use that truth spear. And so Joseph, they throw, they throw him in a hole. Reuben saves his life. They put him on a camel. He gets money. They lie to his, their father. Joseph ends up in a hole. Makes it to Egypt. Um, Joseph ends up in another hole. He ends up with Potiphar. He, he, Joseph ends up under the, the false accusation of Potiphar's wife. And so they throw him in another hole. Jail. Again, jail. Right? But the story, isn't, the story isn't done yet for Joseph. Joseph ends up being promoted to the second in command in the Egyptian empire. It means that if you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. I want you to look at your neighbor. If he's still breathing, tell him God's not done with you yet. Go ahead and tell them that. Yeah. Did you know that? God's not done with you yet. Okay, now look at your neighbor and say this. You're a work of God. Go ahead and say that. Tell him. Now look at your neighbor and say, I'm a work of God. Go ahead and say that. Okay, last one, and then stop talking. Okay, here we go. Last one. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not done yet. Go ahead and say that. Yeah, you're a work of God. I'm a work of God. God's not done yet. And you're still breathing, which means God's not done with you yet. People say to me, Joel, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know either. I, I work for God. I'm not God, but God knows. If he was done with you, you, you wouldn't be here. You'd be with him. But you're still here. Ergo, he, you still need to be here. So what happens is in these episodes, in this episode of John, in the episode of Elijah, Joseph, I, I'd love for us to go in every one of those, but we're, we're not going to do that today. Let's stick here in Luke chapter 7. As we think about, as we think about this episode, and I, I want you to notice there are three courts of appeal. <laughs> I, was, uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, I, my dad grew up on a farm, like many of you, and uh, I remember going to him in fourth or fifth grade and said, Dad, can I have an allowance? He said, nope, time for you to get a job. And so uh, I became a paper boy. Uh, I, I threw the Arizona Repulsive. I mean, Arizona Republic. <laughs> and uh, so I, I remember, I yeah, so I knew what it was to get up at 4 or 4.30 and go down and get my papers. And, you know, I had uh, the bags and I had the rubber bands. And you, in those days, they gave you a little book you had to collect. You tore off the little thing. And so I, I was my own businessman. I was a business person at the ripe old age of 12 or 13. And I remember... This lady, uh, she, she was trying to build the system. And so she, she was a Sunday-only customer. But like it was like 
three or four, she kept on saying, well, I'll pay, I'll pay. And, you know, being naive and 13 or 14, I, you know, I said, well, she's going to pay me eventually. Well, eventually my dad said, she's not paying you. I said, so what I do? He said, take her to small claims court. <laughs> and so I showed up in a suit with my little briefcase. <laughs> I'll never get this. I'm sure they were thinking, who is this kid? You know, it's, the, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I remember. So if, yeah. And so if you've ever been in a court, and the judge, it was hilarious. So I, I, not only did I ask for what she owed me, I asked for damages. <laughs> and, the, and the judge said, no, son, you don't get any damages, but she has to pay her bill. So that was, so at any rate, so, but, okay, if you think about a judge, what do you got, right? You got a, you have a judge, right? You have a, you know, the defendant, you've got a prosecuting attorney, right? And then you have a court, you have a court of appeal. Well, I want you to notice in this passage with John, I, think, I really think that you have three courts of appeal going on with John. And I would say all of us as, of God's children, all of us have these courts of appeal that we have to work our mind through. When God allows us to be in a, a season of being in a hole. Okay. Notice number one, the first court is the inner court. This is the one here. <laughs> so the first court that John has to work through is the inner court. The inner court. So this is, this is John is saying, okay, uh, hmm, I'm in jail, and uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be the one that goes before, and I baptized Jesus, and I had a, I had a job dealing with the Son of God and bringing in the kingdom, and I'm sitting in jail. Okay, did I miss something? What, what was? It? All of us know what this is. God allows you to, you know, you're serving God, you're minding your business, you're trying to follow the rules, and bam, something hits you, and it's a season, and it's a hard season, and you're left looking down on the ground under the juniper tree with Elijah, or in the hole with Joseph, or in jail with John the Baptist, and you say, what was that? Exclamation point, question mark. What was that? You know what that is? That's the, that's the inner court. Can I just say this? All of us are susceptible to the accusations of the inner court. And you know who loves to whisper to your ear as the prosecuting attorney and the judge in the inner court? It is the enemy of the brethren. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He loves to whisper into your head. And you know what you do? You listen. Okay? So Pastor Joel, for 30 seconds, allowed by the pastors of the church to be a co-laboring pastor, temporary for 30 seconds, on behalf of Pastor Joel, stop it. Amen. Stop listening to the enemy of your soul. Yeah, and so what's happening is you're, you're in the inner court and instead of, and that's why, listen, when we have stinking thinking and we begin, to, we begin to not be discerning of the thoughts that are entering into our head. And so we, we've got to stop and we've got to think about what we're thinking about. I love the little verse, and again, because of my dyslexia, I can never remember if it's John 13, 17, or 17, 13. So I call it the John 13, 17, 17, 13 principle. And the John 13, 17, 17, 13 principle is this. Jesus says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Amen. I love that passage. Jesus says, if you know right and you do right, you'll feel right. And if you feel right, that encourages you to follow, to, to further thinking right. So positive, accurate, biblical thinking 
encourages positive, accurate biblical action, which encourages positive biblical feeling, emotion, which encourages more positive biblical thinking. What happens is we get off in the mind, the mind. That's why as a man thinketh in his heart, what? Finish the verse. So is he. That's why, that's why Scripture says we've got to be very, you know, we've got to be very quick and very discerning. What am I thinking on? What do we see in the New Testament? What sort of things are pure, just, lovely, pure? If there be any good report, think, dwell upon, meditate, these kinds of things, right? So the heart, the teaching on the heart is huge. And so, number one, the inner court. He's dealing with the inner court. But not only do we have the inner court here, the inner court of doubt, we have the outer court. I affectionately or unaffectionately call this the peanut gallery. Okay, so you got the inner court. This is where self-doubt and self-accusation and, you know, you're shooting, you know, well, the reason why I'm struggling is because I'm a loser. And then that brings all kinds of discouragements. And the enemy is delighted that you're going there. He doesn't have to do much. If, you, if you're going to accuse yourself, he, he can go somewhere else, right? But then if that doesn't work, sometimes he'll bring the peanut gallery in. Oh, let me tell you about Johnny's a nutcase, right? I mean, have you seen what he eats? Have you seen what he wears? I mean, he's not hip. I've given up on hip since I've discovered pain in my hip. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't, it's not a shot at the guys that can do it, but I am not, not going to preach in skinny pants. I'm just not going <laughs> to. If I was to preach in skinny jeans, I'd look like a walking, talking lollipop. <laughs> And uh, we're just not going to do that. And John the Baptist is with Joel here, okay? John's not going to go get the most expensive Italian shoes. And, and you know, he's not going to, I mean, he's just not going to do that. And so, so what happens is that very much, and you, you saw it in the passage, Jesus says, now compare John to these other so-called spiritual religious leaders, right? Well, you know, they look like this, the preachers on Channel 21. They got... The hair slicked back, and they got, you know, the big fancy cars, and they have, and uh, I'm not sure what channel is here on, in California, but in Arizona, it's channel 21. So you got the inner court, accusation in the inner court. And you got, number two, the accusations of the outer court. Can, can, let me ask this question. Why, why would you lose consistently sleep over people's opinions of you, people who really don't care about your best spiritual interest at heart. Why would you do that? Because we've made their opinion something of an idol. And we all do it. We all do it. We all, fray, we all fall prey to this. Look, if Elijah... Okay, let me... John the Baptist, who is he? He's John the Baptist, right? So if John the Baptist is going to struggle with this, you and I are going to struggle with it. Elijah, who's Elijah? Well, like, he doesn't die. He doesn't die. At the end of his life, God says to an angel, go pick him up. So if a prophet who doesn't die, and then the guy who Jesus says, oh, the greatest of this dispensation is John the Baptist, he's like who? Elijah. If we're talking about these two guys, if these two guys struggle when they're in a hole, you and I are going to struggle. We're going to struggle with both of these courts, the, the court of accusation, right? That inner court of accusation. You, 
you know, you're going to doubt, you're going to accuse yourself with only of Stop, stop that. Don't, don't join up with the accuser of the brethren. He hates you. God loves you. Number two, the, the wounds being distracted by the accusations from the peanut gallery, the outer court. <laughs> I love this. Do you know the court that really matters only when it comes down to it? The only court and the court that we ought to pay close attention to is the last one. That's the court of the upper, the upper court. And what is that? That's the opinion of, of somebody who matters. And that is God's view of you. What a, God, God the Father looks through uh, in, in connection with the work of God the Son as, at their servant. And what does God say? Okay. Yeah, let me, let, me tell you about, let me tell you about John the Baptist. I'll tell you, there's no one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. Yeah, these, again, if you compare, maybe this afternoon, compare Luke 7, Matthew 11. And as you read those two passages, man, it's amazing the way God defends the reputation of a servant, his son. It would not surprise me this morning that there are many of you sitting here. You've been faithful. You love God. You love Jesus. You've believed in him. You've had struggles. We've all had struggles. You've had failures. We've all had failures. And uh, you're not perfect. But you love Jesus. You love Christ. You're following him. And you know what? God is very pleased with you. God accepts you. He, he accepts you in the beloved because you're in Christ. But beyond that, God's pleased with you. He's pleased um, with your attempt to be faithful, even though from time to time, on a regular basis, we fail. God loves you. And he's pleased by you. He's not angry at you. And if anything, he often is grieved that you've taken on the work of the accuser of the brethren, the inner court, the outer court, the upper court. Notice by way of conclusion this morning, how many of us needlessly struggle with the inner court of self-doubt and accusation? Now, I'm not saying use this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Woohoo! Should we sin that grace may abound? I'm not saying go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. But many of us are not there and because we grew up in either uh, a kind of a fundamental Baptist legalism or a Catholic sacramental legalism, and by the way, if you're a former Catholic legalist or a former Baptist legalist, you two groups ought to get to know each other. You have a lot in common. You do. Yeah, a lot in common. And so if you grew up in this kind of a legalism, you just know, you just always know that you're guilty and you're, you're never okay with God. That is really, my dear friend, that's a really hard way to live. And God does not want you to live that way. So we say it again in the conclusion. Notice how many of us needlessly struggle with the inner court of self-doubt and accusation. This is often fanned by Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. We also deal with the outer court of others' opinions when, even when our Heavenly Father loves us and knows we struggle, but accepts us in Christ. Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 that each believer at the Bema seat will receive praise from God. <laughs> Look at that. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Every believer 
at the Bema receives praise from God. This is to say God's spiritual work in each believer will result in some area of fruit that brings glory to heaven and encouragement to the saints. By the way, are you quick to see other people's fruit or thorns? That's for you to answer. Yeah. Look at that. It's simply not right to view yourself as a loser. We all fail, but all of us are God's children. We will produce some light, some fruit. Take home, take home thought. There is an important difference between Holy Spirit conviction and false unrighteous guilt. This is, uh, this is a sermon preached primarily to believers. Let me just say, maybe here this morning, and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, let me, just, let me just share the good news. It's what this church preaches and trumps and sings and prints and what this church is about. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe, is the second person of the Trinity. He's the very Son of God. And uh, in the fullness of time, Jesus came and he took on flesh. He was 100% God. As such, he did not sin. As, as such, he is the creator. He has the authority to redeem the world, to create the world, to judge the world. But he was 100% man, so he was also our representative. He was last Adam. First Adam got us uh, through the imputation of Adam's sin. All of us are guilty. But through the redemption of last Adam, those who believe are made clean. We're forgiven. Jesus lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the moral law of God perfectly. He died on the cross for our sin. They buried him. He rose again. The Bible says that if you will confess and believe, if you believe in your heart, you confess of sin, you recognize Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And with a heart of faith and a heart of repentance, you say, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. The scriptures teach us that old things pass away. All things become new. We're adopted into his family. If you've not done that before, let me encourage you to do that today. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that in, your, in, the, in the upper court, the heavenly court of appeal, that we are innocent, that we are not guilty, that we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom uh, as we deal with life and as we deal with one another Help us to be careful, even when others fail. Help us, to, help, us to be, help us to be careful in how we approach one another. Help us not to be hung up in the inner court. Help us not to be confused in the outer court, but help us to be focused on the upper court. We thank you that because of Jesus, we'll hear the words one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And all God's people said, amen. amen.